I could invite your attention to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians and chapter 5. We've been talking uh, from the book of Ephesians about the way we walk. And there are five places uh, specifically in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 where Paul admonishes us to walk a certain way after a certain pattern of life. And uh, this, is, this is the final one. This is the last one. Um, I'm sure there, there are more, more things we could talk about, but um, as far as, as for this particular series, uh, we'll, we'll end with this. And uh, it's Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verses 15 through 21. And it's about walking in wisdom. Walking in wisdom. Look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And may God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures. The way we walk. We walk here, Paul says, we are to walk in wisdom. What does it mean to walk in wisdom? Verse 15 in our English Standard Version says, Look carefully, then, how you walk. I like the word that the King James Version uses. It says to walk circumspectly. Walk circumspectly. And uh, that is a, is a word that... Um, well, let me ask you, how many of you have used the word circumspectly in the last week? Any of you? Yeah, I don't suppose any of us probably have. Uh, we don't use that word too often, but it, uh, it gives us a, a good idea. There, as we look at the original word that's used there, there's a number of ideas communicated by that word. One is to walk with exactness, to walk with exactness. I remember hearing uh, about, I, I suppose it would be a great grandmother three or four times uh, removed back from uh, the current generation uh, that uh, in my family was a uh, from the tribe of the Cherokees and um, family uh, family lore family folklore uh, in the Bender family says that she uh, enjoyed uh, taking walks through the woods, through the forests, and that as she walked, she did not make a sound as she walked through the trees, through the woods. She walked with exactness. It also communicates the idea of walking with accuracy. Walking with accuracy. Walk accurately. And then also with diligence. Vines, uh, Vines Concordance 
says that the word used that's translated as circumspectly, it expresses that accuracy which is the outcome of carefulness. The outcome of carefulness. As I was thinking about this, this is me. Um, we discovered not too long ago, I, we had to move Ivy into a, a, a room by herself. And uh, so she could sleep by herself and, and uh, actually more accurately so others could sleep by themselves. Um, and uh, the room that we moved her to, her bed is located close enough to where she can reach the light switch without getting out of bed. And occasionally, um, and, and her bed is such that she can't get out of it on her own. She's, once we put her in there, she's stuck in there until we let her out. Um, but she can, she can reach through the side and get the light switch and turn the light on, and occasionally after she's been in bed for an hour or so, we will look and see under the door the, the little gleam of light, and I will know she has, she has been awake and she's turned the light on. And, but all will be quiet. So she'll, uh, evidently she turns the light on and then goes back to sleep. I'm not sure whether she just likes to sleep with the light on, but... At any rate, I will turn all the lights off that I can in the hallway and make sure everything is quiet and then very carefully, very slowly turn the doorknob to her room and then very slowly holding with both hands, open that door just enough to where I can get my hand in and flip that light off and then again very slowly, very carefully being careful not to make a noise, pull that door back shut again, and then I don't even release the doorknob. I unturn the doorknob so that the latch goes back in quietly without making any sound. I'm, I'm doing, making all my actions with exactness and with diligence to be careful not to make any noise because we know from experience that Ivy, sometimes if she wakes up, it's a challenge uh, to get her back to bed. Walk circumspectly, the Apostle Paul says. That is a part of walking in wisdom. Another part of walking in wisdom, he says, is redeeming the time. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I think that's an unfortunate translation. Uh, the idea, the word that is used there and the word that the King James Version gives us is the word redeeming the time. And that is a better understanding, a more accurate uh, translation of what the original says. It is the idea of buying back the time or buying or purchasing in the marketplace. The word that is used for time there is not chronos, but kairos. Now that may not mean much to you, but chronos has to do with chronological time. Time as it relates to the uh, second and minute and hour hands ticking and circling away on the clock, chronological time. But Kairos has more to do with opportunity, specific moments in time. 
And Paul is telling us here, make the best use of the time. In other words, take advantage of every opportunity that you have in this life because the days are evil. We are buying up every opportunity. Don't let one pass you by in light of evil days. We uh, look around and because, thankfully, the, the pace of life, though it does change, it, it kind of increases gradually. I, I'm, I'm thankful that we haven't had to see uh, a change of pace in life, for, for example, going from 1920 to 2020. Can you imagine the difference in life in 1920? I don't suppose any of you are here were alive in 1920. Um, <coughs> Uh, I'm going to go farther than that. I'm almost positive nobody here was alive in 1920. But um, think about the amount of change that's taken place in, in that space of time, from 1920 to 2020. And there has been a staggering amount of, of what some would call progress, a staggering amount of change, uh, the things that we deal with in, in our day-to-day living. And uh, our, uh, <clears throat> our grandparents, or, or for some of you, your parents, would be astounded to see the kind of lives that people live in this world today. Yet, thankfully, life changes at a somewhat gradual pace, and uh, in light of all that's going on in the world that we live in today, just if you start ticking things off, we could talk about war in uh, the Ukraine with Russia, and we could talk about the, uh, the threat of war uh, with China. We could talk about all of the, uh, uh, the violence in our own country with uh, shootings taking place on just a, a almost a daily basis, like clockwork, we're hearing about more and more uh, happening. And Paul says, in light of the evil days that you live in, don't miss an opportunity. Another thing I believe that Paul was looking forward to was the return of Christ. You see, we hear people say things like, certainly we are living in the last days, and I believe that's true, we are living in the last days. But Accurately, biblically speaking, we've been in the last days since Jesus ascended back into heaven. The disciples that came out of the upper room and went into Jerusalem and began preaching, they understood that they were living in the last days. These are the last days, yes. And in light of these being the last days, in light of them being evil days, we need to walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. Using the time for our own selves, but also not missing the opportunities that we have to impact the lives of people around us. Walk in wisdom. Walk carefully. Walk redeeming the time. And then also walk in discernment. Walk in discernment. Verse 17 says, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now let's talk about foolishness for a minute. Um, <clears throat> is everybody awake? 
you okay to talk about foolishness? I, I don't want to talk foolishness. That would be wasted time, wouldn't it? That would be making bad use of the time. The word that Paul uses here that is translated foolish is different than the word used in verse 15 uh, that's translated as unwise. Is similar, but uh, here the word foolish means to be without reason or to be senseless. And don't we seem to see people walking, navigating life in this world in a way that is senseless, foolish, without reason? I think a picture of that is found in Romans chapter 1. The people who did not recognize God, did not, uh, was not grateful to Him that God gave them up. And uh, their, their minds became darkened. Their understanding became darkened. Understanding here, the word says, understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand. That word literally means to put together, to put together. And um, <clears throat> as I think about the contrast between these two words, foolish and understanding, um, I thought about a man that... Um, is it has a lot of uh, quotes attributed to him, and it depends on how you perceive these quotes as to whether or not you, you could say they were possibly brilliant or possibly foolishness. Anybody know who this guy is? That's Yogi Berra. Uh, Yogi Berra was a baseball player. He played for the New York Yankees, and... Um, he said a lot of interesting things, and depending on your perspective and your reading of the things that he said, I can't decide at times whether they are foolish or whether they're brilliant. <laughs> One of the things Yogi Berra said was, you can observe a lot by just watching. Isn't that true? He is also quoted as saying, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Here's something some of you may want to remember. Always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. Now, here's the, here's the two, there are two here specifically that, that relate to what we're talking about when we think about discernment. Um, the first one is this, Yogi Berra said, it's tough to make predictions, especially about the future. That's true. Then he said, if you don't know where you are going, you'll end up someplace else. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up someplace else. Paul tells us to walk carefully. In other words, that is with exactness, with accuracy. 
and to not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And that word understanding means to put together. I think a lot of times when we think about the will of God or we try to pray about the will of God, we have this this perception in our mind that it's some mystical thing that we through somehow uh, some connection with the Spirit that God can reveal to us His will, and there's some kind of mysticism there. And I I won't uh, argue the fact to say that possibly there are times when it is like that. It's a very in a very spiritual way, in a mystical way, God can can make His will plain, can make His will known to us. And I know certainly some people have had experiences like that. However, I think God's will is mostly not some mystical thing, but God's will is for us to use the mind that God gave us and to walk circumspectly, understanding that God gave us the Holy Scriptures, and as we shape our lives and conform our lives to this book, we understand that we are being transformed into the kind of people that God intends us to be, that would be according to the will of God, wouldn't it? It would be to trust in the providence of God to guide us. In other words, it's believing that God is a good God and He wants good things for His people. And as He opens and closes doors in our pathway, uh, along with other means of discernment, God can lead us in the way we ought to go. And along with that, there ought to be a good use of sanctified common sense. Amen. And we can discern what the will of God is. So we walk carefully, walk circumspectly. As we walk, we are redeeming the time, making, taking advantage of every opportunity. We are walking in discernment. And finally, we are walking Controlled by the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. Verse 18, a verse that I'm sure most of us are familiar with. It says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. I realize I'm quoting the King James. Almost everything I have memorized is is King James. Do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now we should pause for a moment and talk about the various roles of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit takes on different roles at different times and places in history and different times and places in our lives. One thing that we ought to be aware of is that there is a difference between being filled with the Spirit and being indwelt with the Spirit. Every true Christian, every true believer is indwelt by the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But not every true believer is filled with the Spirit of God. 
There is a difference between the filling of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, fruit is often green and not fit to eat when it's green. You can tell that there's progress being made. Amen? You can tell that there's fruit coming on, but it's not always ready. It's not mature. And for some of you, this, I hope, will be an encouragement. I believe you can be filled, you can be indwelt and filled with the Spirit and at times still have fruit that's very green. Because you see, there is a difference between purity of heart and maturity, spiritual maturity. Not everyone that is pure of heart is spiritually mature. So be encouraged if at times you feel like you've got a long way to go. Sometimes I still feel like I have a long way to go. And God help me. But thank God we can have the understanding by faith that we are filled with the Spirit. There's a difference between the filling of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. There are a variety of spiritual gifts, and not everybody has the same gifts. And along this note, I, I, don't, I don't think there's necessarily anybody that really needs to hear this, but this is just a good time to say it. There's a difference between the filling of the Spirit and speaking in tongues. Let me just pause here for a moment and say that, that speaking in tongues is a biblical spiritual gift. However, it's not one of the spiritual gifts that we recognize ought to be practiced in public worship in the Church of the Nazarene. Amen. Amen. Um, speaking in tongues is classified as a spiritual gift, but it is not an essential. It's not anything essential to our Christian life or our life in the Spirit. My granddad was a good holiness preacher for a lot of years, and he was having a conversation with a man who uh, was talking about uh, speaking in tongues, and my granddad was a, was a Nazarene, you know, the Wesleyan persuasion, and, and um, was asking this gentleman, well, what is that, what is it good for, this speaking in tongues? And the man said, well, that's just, it's simply the evidence that you're filled with the Spirit. And so you know what he said next. My granddad said, well, then speak in tongues for me. Let me hear you speak in tongues. And the man said, oh, I can't do it right now. You know, I, and, and so the question was then are you sometimes filled with the spirit and sometimes not I don't wish to be divisive I don't wish to dishearten anyone I've had I've had people ask me genuine questions the the simple fact of the matter is that spiritual gifts for one can be counterfeited 
can be counterfeited. Or if, if I need to say that more plainly, they can be faked. And so great caution must be used. And any way you read the Scripture, there is no way to see speaking in tongues as a valuable part or an indispensable part of any worship service, especially in, in public in the way and the way it is usually practiced in our day. If you look at what the Bible requires of speaking in tongues, the way it is typically practiced in the, the, the charismatic movement, um, none of those biblical requirements, almost never are those biblical requirements met. So understand that when we're talking about being filled with the Spirit, that, that we're talking about a particular role of the Holy Spirit. And that is simply the Spirit's control. This is why Paul uses the analogy of being drunk with wine. Be not drunk with wine, because when you are drunk with wine, that is, you are under the influence or under the control of a, a substance that causes you not to be in control of yourself. And it affects the way that you talk. It affects the kind of songs that you sing. It affects the way you interact with people that are, are around you. And so Paul uses this analogy and he says, be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be continually under the control of the Holy Spirit. And the word there, the, uh, the grammar there is a, one, it is an imperative. It's a command. It's not optional. It is a command, and it is also a in the passive voice, which means it is done to you. It's not something you can do in and of yourself, but it is something that is done to you, and it is present tense. That means it is something that must be ongoing and maintained, be being filled with the Spirit. So how do you stay full? How do you stay full of anything? Well, you've got to keep your cup right side up. And as old Uncle Buddy said, keep it close to the spout where the glory comes out. And it's about putting ourselves in a position. Paul goes on, and I don't want to take too much time, but just mention these briefly. There are four participles that modify the command to be being filled with the Spirit. One has to do with our conversation, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Two has to do with, the, with our, well, our singing, the song in our heart. It can be a song in our hearts. That's what Paul says, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Three, our attitude, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This has to do with our relating, how we relate to one another. And these four are, are evidences 
in practical daily living that testify to the fullness of the Spirit in our lives. If you want to do a spiritual health checkup for yourself, look at these four items and examine yourself to see about the fullness of the Spirit in your life. And this, along with the others, all have to do with walking in wisdom. Why is it wise as a Christian to remain filled, to keep on being filled with the Spirit? The same reason it's wise as you drive down the road to keep an eye on your gas gauge. Because if you keep driving and you forget about watching your gas gauge or at least your mileage, I had a car and uh, Ethan inherited that car, bless his heart, um, where the gas gauge stopped working. And so we had to uh, figure, estimate roughly about how many miles we could safely go on a tank of gas and make sure we reset the odometer every time we filled, got a full tank of gas and watched the mileage and then fill up. That's wisdom. If you don't do that, you're going to end up broken down beside the road somewhere, not able to go anywhere. And friends, as Christians, if we fail in this area to, to remain filled with the Spirit, we're going to end up broken down beside the road somewhere and wonder, how did I get stuck here? We've got to keep putting it in, or rather, as I said, this is, it's passive, so it's not something that we do ourselves, it's something that's done to us. And, and I'm not saying any of this to put anybody on a guilt trip because, friends, let me remind you, there are a number of reasons why we as Christians, why we even as spirit-filled Christians can run close to empty. Too often, I think, when we run close to empty, we look for something wrong in our lives and we get, at least I often, get overwhelmed with a sense of guilt and, and uh, oppressed and wonder, what am I doing wrong and, and what do I need to do to fix this? When I think all too often we forget that simply the natural processes of life will deplete our resources. Just like the natural processes of driving your car will use up the fuel in the tank and necessitate you pulling in to the gas station to get refilled. The natural processes of living the Christian life, not that you're doing anything wrong, not that you're doing anything that you shouldn't be, but just living the life and staying on top and keeping the victory will deplete your resources and necessitates us coming in every once in a while, not every once in a while, but regularly for a refilling, spending time with God, spending time in His Word, spending time with Jesus, letting Him talk to us more than just when we need something or when we want something, but spending time just to be in His presence and to refill and refuel our hearts. A wonderful place to come for refilling is to come to the table and receive the bread and the cup and to ask God to minister grace 
to our hearts. This is one of the recognized means of grace. One of the ordinances of the church is the sacraments, that we come to the table of the Lord and we receive the bread as a symbol of his broken body and the cup as a symbol of his spilled, shed blood as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And the old-time Methodists used to call it food for the journey. Food for the journey. And friends, we all need that food for the journey. It's probably worth mentioning we've been, we've been doing this for a while now on a monthly basis, m- much more uh, frequently than, than perhaps you'd ever been used to doing it before I came here. That's okay. It can become empty and lose some of its meaning and significance if we allow it to. But friends, for the most part, the, the, the meaning and the significance that is behind it, whether, whether we see that, whether we recognize it, it connects to our intimacy with Jesus Christ. You know, um, you that are, are married or have been married, I hope you'll forgive me for this illustration, but... Um, the meaning and the significance behind that kiss that you give to your spouse, uh, whether it's a goodbye well, as you're on your way out the door to go to work or, or a goodnight kiss or what have you, if there is any significance or meaning or passion to that, um, that's a reflection of how much intimacy and passion there and romance there is in your marriage. And friends, I believe the exact same is true when we come to the Lord's table. If it means anything to us, or if it means very little to us, it reflects the, the intimacy and the romance in our relationship with the Lord. So